If you have your Bible with you this morning, I would love for you to turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, as we really begin to end this series of messages through the book of Galatians, it just has been a wonderful, wonderful time for me personally to study this and then to deliver that experience of study and prayer on Sunday mornings with you and to see the impact that it has had upon so many of you and upon this church, it is a blessing. The book of Galatians is really the call to freedom in Christ. And you can't hear any better news than to hear that you can be totally free in the Lord Jesus Christ and only through Christ. Can that happen? Well, this morning we're coming to the next to the last verse in chapter 6. This is where we left off last week. And you'll see it there in verse 17. He says this, From now on, let no one cause me trouble. For I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God and Heavenly Father, we bow here this morning to thank you, first of all, for who you are, the God of creation, the God who sustains all things, the God of redemption, the God of grace, and mercy, and love, the God of justice, righteousness, and holiness. We bow before you and praise you and worship you. Lord, we want to thank you this morning for the work of the cross, by which for us in Christ, the world has been crucified to us, as Paul wrote, and us to the world, through which we have become new creations. The old is passed away, and behold, all things are made new. Now we have fresh, awakened eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts That are sensitive to your voice. Now, O God, we have new desires and new passions and new affections that are godly and that are Godward in nature. We want to thank you for those. And Lord, we pray that as we have read the word that you inspire the apostle to write, that you will illuminate now these truths to our hearts and seal them. God, and may they have a vast and eternal impact upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name and amen. Amen. Well, this morning, as you can see, we're going to talk about the trouble of false doctrine and the brand marks of Christ. So you can see that the outline was so simple for this one verse that we were able to include both of the things That a note taker would need to write down. The main two things that we want to think about with our time this morning. Is the trouble of false doctrine. Number one. And secondly. The brand marks of Christ. As Paul comes to the end of this wonderful letter. This epistle that he wrote. Inspired by God the Holy Spirit. Chapters one and two. He defends his apostolic authority. To speak on behalf of God. And to establish Christian doctrine sound doctrine in these local churches. These were Gentile churches. 
scattered throughout the region of Galatia. According to the book of Acts, we know of at least four specific churches mentioned in that area of Galatia that Paul was instrumental in founding and planting there. He and his missionary team. Then we learn from chapters 3 and 4 the great historical doctrine of the Protestant Reformation and the great historical doctrine of Scripture, namely this, that justification in the sight of God to be saved, to be accepted in God's sight into this peaceful relationship with God, justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. He does that in chapters 3 and 4. In chapters 5 and 6, he gives this practical look at how to live the Christian life in light of that truth. If you're not living the Christian life according to the law, if you're not going about seeking to establish yourself as righteous through your law-keeping performance, then how do you do it? How do you live the Christian life? And the answer is so clear. And so liberating to my heart, we live it by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence within us and empowers us with new desires and new affections and new passions that are godly and God words. And he puts those desires there and then he gives us the ability and the power and the strength with all of the means of grace that he has given us in scripture at our disposal to walk in that power and strength and walk and live out that biblical God-honoring Vision of life, vision of holiness, vision of righteousness and purity in our personal lives. He comes to the conclusion here in chapter 6. And he says in verse 11, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. This was a validation of the fact that the Apostle Paul was the author of this epistle, this letter And the reason for that was because there were imposters who were writing letters and sending them out under the guise that it came from the Apostle Paul. And, in fact, they did not. It is those, he says in verse 12, who want to make a good showing in the flesh, who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they might not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. These legalistic Jews. This... Those who practice legalistic Judaism as a means of justification were going about and preaching a false gospel. They were preaching false doctrine to these churches. And the result of that was great confusion and trouble, as we will see here in a moment. And throughout the letter, we've noticed that Paul has kind of held them up on the one hand and held up the truth and his example and his preaching of that truth. And he's going to do the same thing all the way down to our verse 17. He says, those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Did you hear that? One of their motivations to have these Gentile Christians circumcised and following the law that God gave to Israel as a means of justification, is because they don't want to be persecuted for preaching Christ alone for justification. And so they were motivated by that. 
For even those, he says in verse 13, who are circumcised, and here's their hypocrisy, do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But, and here's the contrast, but far be it from me to boast, Paul is not going to brag about personal performance. He's not going to brag about his achievements in the flesh. He's not going to brag about anything except one thing. And what is it? Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble. The trouble that Paul endured for the truth, for sound biblical doctrine, for the true gospel was massive. And this is a third-person imperative directed toward these Judaizers, these troublemakers. Don't cause me any trouble any longer. However, I think that the greatest benefit for the church in hearing this is the indirect realization of just what kind of trouble false doctrine creates. And it is... Massive. The trouble that Paul bore because of this false doctrine that was being entertained by the Gentile believers among these Galatian churches. Paul writes about a similar reality in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 28 and 29 says this. And apart from the other things... There is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches. He had a burden for the churches. He was an apostle sent primarily to the Gentiles. To preach the everlasting gospel. To see people come to faith in Christ. To baptize them and begin to structure and and organize them into local churches. And then help them to understand sound biblical doctrines, Christian doctrine. And to help them to understand how to organize themselves with elders, pastors, and deacons, and congregational life. And he talks about that and writes First and Second Timothy and Titus for that very purpose. To help Timothy and Titus in their endeavor to help see the churches have sound doctrine and good governance structures that were biblical And profitable for them. He had a burden for these people. He was instrumental in founding and establishing and planting these local churches. He was the one that preached the gospel to them. And now false doctrine has crept in. And causing great trouble and anxiety to his heart. He goes on to that text in 2 Corinthians 11.29. Who is weak and I am not weak. Who is made to fall and I am not indignant. The daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches was a pressure. It was troublesome to him. Why? Because there was so much false doctrine. 
And it's the same today. There's so many people today. And this is one of my soapboxes. So issues. <laughs> so I have to try to control how long I talk about this. But there are people today that would say to you and to me. That we don't need to focus on doctrine. But that could not be further from the truth. As a matter of fact, it could not be further from the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul. As we're going to see in just a moment. From the internal evidence, however, of this particular letter. It is clear that this doctrinal controversy among these churches. That he was instrumental in founding has taken a toll on the Apostle. He was troubled by the effect of false doctrine among the churches. As you recall, if you jump back to chapter 1 of the book of Galatians, Paul jumps right in on the trouble that the false doctrine was causing among these churches when he says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 6 and following, he says, I am astonished. So this is that he just jumps right into it. He doesn't say, I'm glad for you because of this. He just says, I'm going to greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is Another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there he talks immediately in chapter 1 about the trouble that this false doctrine was creating. And he reserves the greatest, most powerful language for these preachers and propagators of false doctrine. He says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Anathema. Let him be accursed. Paul is reserving the greatest of rebukes and encouraging those local churches to do likewise. He recounts his own response To these troublemakers, he calls them false brothers in chapter 2, beginning in verse 3 and following when he says, But even Titus, who was with me, this is chapter 2, verse 3, But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery... Now, here's his own response to the troublemakers. To them, we did not yield in submission for even a moment. For even a moment. Why? He says, for even a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. My friends, the first thing that we might consider to be one of the troubles of false doctrine is that the corruption of truth and the spread of truth to the present and future generations is impeded. So one of the troubles that false doctrine produces is that it corrupts the truth and therefore it corrupts the spread of the truth to the present and future 
generations. Paul says there, as we read in our text, in chapter 2, verse 5, he did not yield to them in submission for even a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel would be preserved for you. And that's the way, beloved, that every single local church from then until now should respond. We should have this heart that is so passionate for God's glory in the world to see the truth advance is to see people saved, is to see people's lives truly changed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. And when false doctrine creeps in, this false gospel, he says, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and pervert the gospel of Christ. This is going to corrupt the truth and it's going to impede it from being spread to that present and future generations. Now, he did not respond passively to this trouble, but he responded with love. What kind of love? The kind of love that was willing to lovingly and yet strongly and with deep conviction stand up against false doctrine. That's love. (laughs) It's not the same definition that the world would give to love. But nevertheless, according to our Creator God and the whole counsel of His Holy Scripture, love is willing to prize truth, God, above all things, including our own personal safety and comfort and everyone else's as well. We're willing to make other people uncomfortable We're willing to put ourselves under that uncomfortable position of hearing biblical God truth because that's what's best for us and for future generations. So he does not respond with passivity, but he stands on the strong conviction of biblical truth and the true gospel, and he stands up against false doctrine. He even gives us an example in the book of Galatians of this troubling effect. He says, for example, in chapter 2, verse 11. So if you look there in Galatians 2, 11, and this one is an example that concerns the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter was called up in pressure from other people. Concern and care of what other people think about me. So that he actually began to act in ways that were out of step with the truth of the gospel. Now friend, I don't know how that hits you this morning. But I'll tell you how it hits me. If the apostle Peter can get called up in the pressure of what everybody else thinks. And the desire to be liked begins to trump the desire to preserve truth. Then every one of us are susceptible to it. Listen to what he says in chapter 2 there, beginning in verse 11. But when Cephas, that's just another name for the apostle Peter. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned, not condemned in an eternal lake of fire condemned, but he stood condemned in his conduct and his action. 
he was a Christian, but as you know, <laughs> Christians are not perfect. Christians are still dealing with the remaining corruption that they have within them. The nature of sin is not fully eradicated. The death blow has been given for sure, but we still grapple with sin and we still grapple with temptation. And so he says that he stood condemned for before certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back, separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And here's what happens when people are sucked into this kind of false doctrine, caring about what other people think, wanting to be liked. This is what happens. Look at verse 13. Galatians 2.13. And the rest of the Jews then acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And here's his response. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all. So he, he, he rebukes him openly to his face in front of everybody else. Because what is on the line here is the corruption of truth. And if truth is corrupted, it has a very massive effect. And Paul knew this. And as we have learned through the book of Galatians, this truth was with the truth of the gospel. The, the, what was in the balance is heaven and hell, life or death. Because if you believe like the legalistic Jews believed that justification and righteousness is established because you earn it through your law keeping performance, Paul says, you're not going to be saved. He says, you're cut off from the work of the cross in Christ. You're separated from that if you're seeking to be justified. Through law keeping. And so the number one, the trouble was that the false doctrine produces a corruption of the truth and therefore the spread of truth to present and future generations. Secondly, number two, the trouble that Paul was experiencing in false doctrine was trouble that he may have labored with the Gentiles there in the region of Galatia. He may have labored for nothing. In vain. As he preached and taught among them. Look in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Here again we're using this verse. From now on let no one cause me trouble. To go back and see the kinds of trouble that the apostle was having. Okay. So just to bring us back to what we're thinking about. And the second thing that we're looking at is the fact that he was troubled internally because he thought it would maybe be the case that he had labored so faithfully and tirelessly for nothing. How many of you like to labor for nothing? To try to endeavor to accomplish something only to accomplish nothing. That is a very troubling reality. Look in Galatians chapter 3 verse 1. Oh foolish Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Chapter 1, as we read there, he says, I'm astonished. Chapter 3, he says, I am just blown away. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. He had labored tirelessly to preach the gospel there. 
And he saw all of these positive responses to his preaching. The local churches were established. And now he's hearing that people are seeking through law keeping to justify themselves in the sight of God. And he says, who bewitched you? Chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. Galatians 4.19, my little children, see how he addresses them. He loves them. This is love. This is like parental love. My little children, I love you. That's what that says when he uses that phrase. For whom I am again, this is chapter 4 verse 19. For whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. He's troubled because he may have labored in vain. And that is a troubling thought. Beloved, a pastor's heart Paul had. He wasn't a pastor of a local church. He was an apostle and a frontier missionary that took the gospel. But he helped. He had the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ as an apostle to establish Christian doctrine. To interpret the life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension and return of the Lord Jesus Christ for the churches. So that they could understand Christ their Lord. So that they could understand the work of the cross. So that they could understand the Christian life and how to live it in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you something. I, As a pastor myself... It is a grieving thing and a troubling thing to see the truth preached and taught only to be rejected by those that you love. And that's what troubled him. Don't trouble me anymore at the end because he was so troubled by this doctrinal controversy. Number three. Number three. This trouble Paul was facing. He would know and be grieved understanding this. That the spreading corruption that false doctrine produces has a practical, personal impact. So, it's not just you're getting the truth wrong, but if you get the truth wrong, there's a practical, personal effect. (laughs) So, if somebody tells you that doctrine doesn't matter... Then let me give you one of my catchphrases. I don't use these very often. Doctrine is for living. Doctrine is for living. You don't learn Christian teaching because it's some kind of an academic exercise. You learn it for life. So that you can live to the glory of God. So that you can have joy unspeakable and full of glory in your heart. So that you can have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. So that you can grow in the likeness of Christ. You you learn Christian doctrines for living. And that's what he knew. The spreading corruption of false doctrine produces this terrible, troubling personal and practical effect. It would be the difficulties and the troubles that false doctrine produces on this level that would be massive. Massive. Doctrine has a very practical, personal effect. In other words, what we believe determines what we do. Our convictions give rise to our actions. If you say you believe and trust in a full, 
glorious, powerful, sovereign God, then your life will reflect that. Words are empty, often and in vain and meaningless, if they're not accompanied by the practical outworking of that faith. And so our convictions give rise to our actions. What I believe goes down deeper in my being to formulate convictions of my soul and my heart. And at the peak of that triangle is my actions. And that's what you see. That's what you see every day. That's the impact of your witness. And so Paul would be troubled by these Christians that he loved because the Christian life is to be a moment by moment walk of faith with God. Faith in God and a walk of faith with God. And to embrace false doctrine is to impede that walk. So people that are believing false doctrines and embracing false doctrines, they're going to start living according to those false doctrines. They're going to start acting on the basis of what they now believe. And Paul says, if the goal of the Christian life is to walk in sweet communion and fellowship with the living God, moment by moment by faith, then to embrace this false doctrine would separate them from that experience. To seek to have communion with God through your law-keeping performance or I do this, I don't do that, now you like me, God, right? Is to go in the opposite direction of faith which looks away from self to Christ and you love me in Christ. There's two different, two different ways of living. To seek to live the Christian life through law keeping and rule keeping and code keeping is a totally different lifestyle, totally different actions than a person who is walking by faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul knew this. And it would be troubling for him to realize that that would be impeded for these Galatian Christians, the Christian life is to be a moment by moment pursuit of Christ's likeness in heart, in mind, and action. Would you agree to that? The Christian life is a pursuit of moment by moment communion with God and moment by moment conformity to the image of Christ in heart, in mind, in action. That's the Christian life. Well, how do you do it? Well, not by law keeping. But by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look to God in his holy word. And as we utilize the means of grace. The local church. Prayer. Fasting. Meditation. Memorization of scripture. All of those things. And so legalistic Judaism would not help them in this practical personal pursuit of Christ's likeness. And so Paul was troubled. Because he knew they were grieving the Holy Spirit. He knew that they were quenching the Holy Spirit. They were deluded by false teaching. And this has a massive effect on the spiritual state of those local churches. And it has a massive effect upon the spiritual lives of the individual disciples. And it also has a massive impact upon their witness in the world. How do we witness for Christ? 
Well, my friends, it's not the it's not simply reduced down to the outward speaking of certain words, not in Scripture. But it is the truth going forth from human lips that is accompanied by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Working in the person that is the witness. Working through the person that is the witness. And working on the other end in the person that is hearing the gospel. Otherwise, your gospel witness in the world is going to be reduced to legalism. And that kills But the Spirit gives life. And so I think that as Paul writes this verse, (laughs) as we come back to Galatians 6.17, he's essentially saying, from now on, don't trouble me. Why does he say that at the end of the letter? This is what I believe is going through his heart and mind. He thinks... I think the Apostle Paul feels like that he has successfully put the final nail in the coffin of legalistic Judaism with this letter. He has given such a strong defense of his apostolic authority to establish Christian doctrine for these Gentile churches. He has given such a strong defense of the historic teaching and truth that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not through the works of the flesh or the works of the law but and our personal performance, but in Christ alone. And we are to receive a righteousness that is not our own, the righteousness of Christ by faith. He's done such a good job and a clear job and a powerful job to establish that in chapters 3 and 4. And I think when he comes to the end, he feels like I have successfully now through this letter responded and I have put to death and put in the coffin, sealed it up. The final nail has been driven into the coffin of legalistic Judaism And now he is prayerful and he is hopeful that these churches will respond by considering legalistic Judaism dead and buried, never to rise again. And so he says at the end, so don't trouble me anymore with this grieving and taxing burden. Beloved, one thing about it. False doctrine will always be preached in this world. But if they don't believe it, they don't entertain it, but they lovingly and confidently with convictions and strength stand up against it, root it out of their local churches, guess what? Paul doesn't have to be grieved like he is for these Galatian churches. Now, that's... The first thing, (laughs) the trouble of false doctrine, and that's just, my friends, the internal things that we see in the book of Galatians with a few things outside of it in other verses and other texts. It is like a poison. It is like a cancer. It is like leaven that's worked into the dough so that it pervasively permeates the whole lump. And you and I are called to study the Bible carefully, systematically, prayerfully, in the context of the local church, in private. Why? So we can say, look at how much I've studied? No. It's for your life. It's for your communion with God. 
the triune God. It's for your witness in the world. It's for the power to live the Christian life. It's for your joy. It's for your peace. It's for your spirituality that you would be conformed to the likeness of Christ in in mind and heart and action. And if you come back next week, we'll find out what he means when he says, for I bear on on my body the marks, or as you see on the screen, the brand marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, friends, listen. How should we end this time? If you have bought into legalistic Judaism or legalistic whatever, it just simply means that you are trusting. What are you trusting in? It simply means that you are trusting in your works, okay? Whether you subjectively determine, I think these are good works and I think these are bad works, or whether you have a list imposed upon you like these Jewish people were doing, the law was given to them so that they would know that they were sinners. <laughs> the law was given so that they would know they were sinners and in need of a Savior. The law was given so that they know what, that God is holy. The law was given so that they would understand some ethical things that God Himself has established as right and wrong. But the law was never given so that they would use it as a ladder to climb up this ladder of personal performance so that you earn justification in the sight of God. It was never intended for that. So if you're, you can do that through whatever your subjective list is. I do this, so I think God will accept me. I don't do this, I think God's pleased with that. Paul is saying, essentially, this whole book is saying that if that's what you're trusting in, you have no hope of being accepted in the sight of God. However, he also in this letter is establishing the clear truth of the gospel. It's so beautiful. You are a wretched sinner. (laughs) And you are desperately in need of a Savior. And God has acted. He has sent His only Son into the world, Jesus Christ. So that you, listen, so that every person, just like our sister read on the screen earlier from the book of Romans, everyone that calls upon the name of the Lord, everyone that cries out for mercy, In Christ. On the basis of the cross. What he accomplished there. Substitutionary sacrifice. On the basis of that work of the cross. You cry out for mercy. Paul says. Everyone. Who does that. Is justified. And accepted in the sight of God. And the practical reality. Of everyone that in truth. Does that. Is that you're a new creation. And now the spirit indwells. And now you have new desires. Guess what? They're godly. Now you have new desires. Guess what? They're holy. They're righteous. It's not let me take the bad medicine. So I don't have to go to jail. Or go to hell. But it's now I love righteousness. And therefore I pursue it. It's a totally different way of living. And so what do you depend on in this moment? Is it your performance or is it Christ? And if it's in your performance, I'm calling you by the authority of God's holy word to repent and to put your trust in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this moment of time. 
We thank you for the privilege of being able to open your holy word, preserved for us through the centuries by your own hand, so that we have before us today truth that the apostles were given by Christ himself, that we could have your revelation of yourself and and the person of truth in Jesus Christ. We have it here in Scripture. And we pray that we would respond today, Lord, in appropriate ways that would bring glory and honor to you and would be good for this church and good for the people outside of it. Lord, if there's one here that needs to respond by turning away from sin and trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God, I pray you would call them and draw them now. God, we pray that for your church, we would leave this place rejoicing that we are free in Jesus Christ to walk in righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit and not through the energy of the flesh. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us such power to live in victory. Forgive us, God, where we stumble and where we fall and help us each time to get up and by faith move again toward righteousness and holiness and godliness and communion with you. We pray in Jesus' name and amen.